To listen to Memory Card episodes early and ad-free, consider supporting the show via Patreon at patreon.com memcard. Hey there, video game fans. I'm Ben Bertoli. And I'm Evil Push Dustin. And this is Memory Card. <laughs> so, we are back for our, uh, you know, I, I want to say it's our third Halloween episode, but really, technically, I, I think it's our fourth because uh, we had like a little bonus episode that first season about uh, Dracula and Reeboks. But we've done a few uh, creepy episodes in the past, some Halloween specials, if you will. Um, you talked about some Pokemon creepypasta. And oh, yeah. And we talked about the Castlevania rap. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year, the focus was on the Clock Tower series. So if you like the creepy, spooky season, uh, now is a great time to go back and listen to those Halloween episodes. They're pretty easy to find. They have very silly, spooky names. But uh, the question that I wanted to start off with today for you, Push, mm-hmm. evil Push, as it were, oh, is oh, oh. what? <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> You're turning into a frog person. <laughs> what do you think the scariest monster in real life would be? If you ran into a ghost or a werewolf or a vampire alien, like what's your biggest fear? What's your nightmare scenario? Like they ended, um, you know, finding Bigfoot before they could even find him. Like what's up with mm-hmm. that? Well, um, yeah, the <laughs> the actual the the scariest like creepy thing or you know monster of that sort that freaks me out was when I was a kid. I was really terrified of aliens. Mm. Like I saw like an episode of uh, X Files. Yeah, because you know I grew up in the '90s and um, <laughs> my parents were watching X Files and like they're like, "Oh, you shouldn't watch this; it's scary." And then like I would like sneak in and like try to watch a little bit of it and it scared me <laughs> why do i feel like so, we've talked about this before have we talked about this before i don't know has this been my lead-in that's okay it, that's it's, it's, right. a, it's a core core memory for me so <laughs> i think the problem well I, I guess you could say it's a problem the problem with aliens is that i'm like 99 percent sure that aliens do exist yeah you know what i mean like, oh, there's yeah. something out there yeah there's yeah like like mathematically it's it's very probable right there's just too many planets and galaxies and like potential it's it now. Are they going to come visit us? Are they going to, you know, walk into your house late at night and punch you in the face? Yeah. Probably not. But was it uh, Stephen Hawking? I think he was like, you know, whatever we should do, we should not try to contact aliens because, like, you know, like not having contact is actually like the best case scenario. Because, <laughs> uh, like, if aliens, you know, are actually superior in technology, then they'll, they'll just enslave humans. Right. Yeah. Or if they're just like, you know, uh, warlike you know, conquerors and they'll just exterminate them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's the off chance that, you know, they come in peace, uh, you know, little green men. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, we should not contact them. And then like <laughs> Stephen, you know, Stephen Hawking, he, he's passed away, uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, spoiler alert. And um, like a year after or two years after he passed away, we were just like, yeah, we're going to go contact aliens. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, I've always been freaked out by, like, the legends of kind of, like, humanoid monsters that, like, live in the woods. Mm. And and not, like, Bigfoot. Bigfoot seems, like, super chill and peaceful. Like, he's just out there doing his thing. I'm talking about, there's this creepypasta about this monster called the Rake. Mm-hmm. And I would not, if you don't like scary stuff, don't look into it. Please don't. I think there might actually be a movie now, like, some kind of B-horror movie about it. 
Um, but he's just like kind of a stretched out, pale guy. Oh, like Slenderman? Yeah, kind of. He's kind of like a Slenderman uh, spinoff. But I, I think he's more uh, like naked, you know, ish. Okay, that's more scary. Yeah, he's got <laughs> like his skin's like too tight, but he has like these big hands with like blades on them or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some there's some good spooky stories out there. It kind of reminds me of the Wendigo, which is like a Native American, uh, like a skinwalker mm-hmm. that can shapeshift and kills you. So yeah, that has always really freaked me out. Not a fan of being in the woods um, at night. Mm. You know, I don't want to get caught by the rake and I don't want to get abducted by aliens. And who knows if they're working together at this point. Yeah. So it's scary. And I'm sweating just thinking about it. So we should go ahead and get the episode <laughs> rolling here. <laughs> So, today, for our Halloween special, I actually was going to focus on a series, and then as I started researching that series, I found a different game that I was like, oh, this is more interesting. (laughs) This has, like, deeper information, and I'm way more interested in this. I was actually going to do this episode on Zombies Ate My Neighbors, Uh which is a classic uh, Super Nintendo Genesis game. It's like a top-down, and who knows? Maybe we'll do a bonus episode on it. We tend to do that uh, every now and mm-hmm. then as kind of like a follow-up. But as I was looking into that series, I stumbled upon a very iconic game that I really didn't know anything about, and that is Maniac Mansion. Does that ring any bells for you? Is that like also for like the Super Nintendo? No, it actually, it came out way back in like the late 80s, and it was for, you know, like PC, and then they ported it to the NES in the early 90s. Oh, okay. So it is like a point and click type adventure. It's actually almost more like a text adventure. It's almost the start of the point and click adventure. And we'll get into that. But Mm -hmm. it's a spooky game where you're a teenager, actually a group of teenagers stuck in a haunted house isn't the right word, but a house full of crazy people who want to kill you. Oh, and uh, yeah, it seemed appropriate for, you know, the spooky season. This was uh, the first game to ever be developed and published by LucasArts, Mm -hmm. who, you know, I don't think we've ever really gotten into LucasArts much here. No, we haven't really talked about them too much. I mean, they're obviously like hugely influential in the gaming world, as you might know by the name. They were originally founded by George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars and Indiana Jones and other things. And this was in 1979 after he had kind of hit it big with the Star Wars franchise, um, but before the end of the original trilogy of movies. Mm-hmm. The good ones, you know. Yeah. So he actually created the Lucasfilm computer division in 1979, and he had two groups. He had the games group, which is pretty much what we're going to talk about today. And then he had another group that was just for like computer graphics. Yep. And in 1982, that graphics unit split off and went on to become... Pixar. Yeah, you got it. So that's kind of an interesting fact is that, you know, they used to be the same unit. They split. And uh, now one of them is one of the most well-known animation, you know, companies in the world. And they both ended up at Disney. Yeah. (laughs) In the end, they could not escape the mouse. So when they first started making games uh, at Lucasfilm Computer Division, which eventually became LucasArts, um, they were mostly working, you know, like like I said, on personal computers. They worked with Atari a lot. Uh, They had some 
games that they developed for the Atari 5200 Mm -hmm. and some of Atari's 8-bit computers. And Maniac Mansion was actually conceived in 1985 when they gave these two employees, the the fathers of Maniac Mansion, um, just kind of like free reign to just like create a game. Mm -hmm. They're like, hey, we need more games. Why don't you guys go create something? And these two guys were Ron Gilbert and Gary Winnick. Mm-hmm. They had been hired on previously to work. Uh, I know Ron was a programmer for a game, Cronius Rift, and uh, Winnick was already working there. And they kind of had the same, you know, like taste and humor and film, mm-hmm. television and that kind of thing. You know, like me and you. Yeah. We, we should make a game push. Oh, yeah. Make a game. Memory card, the game. The game about gaming history. Oh, it's so meta. <laughs> <laughs> so they basically, like I said, they said, you know, hey, guys, go make a game. And they provided, like, very little oversight. They didn't have, like, people who they really needed to report to very often, from what I can tell. And that was kind of what made this game, you know, unique, is they had a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. So the actual plot of the game is that there's this fictional spooky family, the Edison family. And uh, they live in this mansion, haunted. Well, not really haunted, but spooky mansion. And it's Dr. Fred Edison, who's a mad scientist, Mm -hmm. his wife, nurse uh, Edna Edison, and then their son, Weird Ed, who I believe is a precursor to Weird Al. Oh, yeah, naturally. Maybe a relative. Yeah, Maybe they're friends. Yes. And uh, they also have two large disembodied tentacles, uh, one purple and one green, that live in the mansion with them. Ah, okay. As most people do. Yeah. And so at the beginning of the game, it shows that like uh, it's like 20 years ago and it shows a meteor that hits outside their mansion. And apparently this meteor is like sentient and is controlling the family and like making them do things and steal people's brains for experiments, mm-hmm. which once again happens all the time. So I'm sure this was based on, you know, a real event. Yeah, the government just doesn't want you to know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. This was a, a way of them leaking it out in a very, uh, you know, not so subtle way. <laughs> So uh, what happens at the beginning is Dave Miller, normal, everyday guy, is going to enter the mansion because Dr. Fred has stolen his girlfriend, Sandy Pants, not to be confused with Sandy Cheeks. Mm -hmm. And basically what happens is that you get to pick who goes in with Dave. Like there's six different characters and you say, like, here's the squad that I'm putting together, which is pretty cool at the time. Like, you know, you usually don't have that kind of like diversity within games where you have a chance to assemble a team. We're a ways away from like beat em ups and things like that. So it's pretty cool. But basically, you just make your way through the mansion and try to save Sandy and get out alive. And as long as one of your characters isn't killed, you know, you have three characters. As long as one of them isn't killed, you're good. Mm-hmm. You have won the game. So the characters you can choose from there's Bernard, Jeff, Michael, Razor, which is a sick name, Sid, and Wendy. By the way, Razor is a girl. Mm. And uh, each character possesses their own unique ability. Sid and Razor can play different musical instruments. Bernard can repair appliances. I think Wendy is like a good at writing, which I wasn't sure how that would come into play, but it, it does somewhere. And uh, one of them can develop film. And you obviously, it, depending on who you pick, they have different skills that will get you through different rooms. Yeah. And so every playthrough with a different team ends differently. Or I guess you get to the ending a different way because you have to take different paths Mm -hmm. so a lot of people really thought that was cool and uh, also apparently uh, even though cutscenes existed before this game this was the first game to have official cutscenes like ron gilbert coined the term cutscene for this game oh wow 
So this is the first one. So here's my really in-depth question for you, Push, and that is, if I had to take you into a haunted mansion, what would your special skill be? What could you do to help us get out of there better than anyone else? I would only cry for one minute. Yeah, just one? Just one. Wow, that's pretty good. (laughs) I was just thinking because I'm like super tall, I could just like reach stuff like high up, you know? Yeah. If they're like, oh no, the key to get to the door, it's up on top of the, you know, fridge. I'd be like, no problem. Just reach up and grab it. (laughs) You're also good at uh, running. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) You cry on the floor, I'll run away. (laughs) Problem solved. (laughs) So good. Yeah. So the development of this game uh, was very interesting Kind of like, you know, we were talking about earlier B-horror films. Mm. That was a huge inspiration. They said it was inspired by many movies where, like, a lot of teenagers in horror movies make terrible decisions. Mm. And it's like, why wouldn't you just leave? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. someone comes after you to kill you in a house, you leave the house. So, it was inspired by, you know, a lot of the cliches from horror movies like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. And while they were working on this, they actually moved... The location of the Lucas Arts, they relocated to the stable house at Skywalker Ranch there in California and uh, Maniac Mansion, the actual like outside of it. And a lot of the rooms are actually based on the main house at mm-hmm. Skywalker Ranch. So if you're like a big fan of Maniac Mansion, you can actually go visit the mansion. Actually, I don't know if it's open to the public. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe don't show up there. You have no problem navigating (laughs) the ranch in case someone tries to murder you. That's right. It's perfect. But yeah, I guess there was like a library with a spiral staircase in there. And they were like, yeah, this is perfect. This seems like a place where people could potentially get murdered. So we'll just work it in there. So while they were working on the concept of, you know, like the story and everything, what the game was going to be, Ron Gilbert was actually visiting his family and uh, got to play this game called King's Quest, Quest for the Crown. And this was an adventure game by um, Sierra Online. And basically what happened is a lot a lot of times back in the day, you had these text adventure games where they're like, you're in a room, mm. you know, there's a window to your left, there's a sword on the floor, and you had to type in what you want the characters to do. Yep. It's pretty classic. And what this game did was it told you everything you could possibly type. Mm -hmm. And he thought that was really cool. He's like, whoa, like, you know, because I guess those old text-based adventures are very frustrating because, you know, you're like, pick up the sword. It's like, you cannot pick up the sword. Like, go to the door. Like, the door is locked. You know what I mean? You have to, like, go to the sword, then pick up the sword. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he said that there was a lot of frustration with, you know, he mentioned that there was a part where it was like there's a piece of shattered glass on the ground. And it was like, well, go pick up the shattered glass. It's like, you died. He's like, no, no person would pick up a shard of glass and like, <laughs> oh, God, I stabbed myself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he, he wanted to make sure that like people who were trying to just kind of poke around wouldn't automatically lose because they were just, you know, having fun with it or attempting, yeah. you know, different weird stuff. So. That was his idea. He's like, well, we can we can fix this. We can streamline this. So what he actually did was they implemented this system where instead of even just being like, here's all the prompts, type them in, they just put them on the screen. Mm-hmm. You just clicked what you want the character to do, which, you know, right now, like now seems like so obvious. Like, yeah, of course, like you want the character to interact with the door. There's a, you know, you click on the door, you click interact, and then it does it. Yeah. That kind of thing. So I'll get to the exact things that you could do in a moment. 
So as they're doing this and they have these different characters that have these different powers, they decide to kind of lay it all out as a board game with the different rooms and like who can move from, you know, which room to which room, depending on what team. So they use different like lines of string and stuff to connect the rooms and illustrate the pathways that they could travel. And I guess it was like so detailed. They were like so proud of it that they took a picture of it and it's actually like hanging in the game in one of the rooms. (laughs) you can find the board game that kind of inspired the whole setup of the games. We're going to put things on a pause for a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. Memory card. That's us. That's right. We're our own sponsor. And if you'd like to support us, you can leave a four or five star review on the podcasting platform of your choice or follow us on Twitter at memcardshow. But Ben, what about our fantastic patrons? Of course, of course. In fact, our wonderful patrons over at Patreon are really what make this show possible. And if you are feeling extra supportive, you can head over to patreon.com slash memcard. Every single one of our patrons gets access to early and ad-free episodes. Higher tiers include bonus episodes, shoutouts, stickers, and more. We certainly hope you'll check it out and consider becoming one of our lovely patrons. Once again, that's patreon.com slash M-E-M-C-A-R-D. What's our sticker for this season, Push? Well, since it's our eighth season, we actually have this wonderful little robot, Octorok. And it was actually illustrated by my friend, uh, Midoribin. You can follow her on Twitter at Midoribin underscore art. Very cool. Eight legs for eight seasons. I like it. I like it. Well, thanks for taking the time to hear us out. Let's go ahead and get back to the show. But yeah, they spent a long, long time on this, like way longer than they should have to the point where I think LucasArts was like really close to firing them because they were just, you know, saying like, oh, we just need a few more months, you know, many, many times. It took them like 18 to 24 months to make this, which is, you know, a long time. It's a pretty long time, especially, you know, back in the day when I feel like people were just kind of pumping out games willy nilly and, and seeing what would stick. So to do this, to build this game, they had to create this entire new game engine that they called Scum, mm-hmm. which is S-C-U-M-M. Any idea what, what Scum stands for? Um, How about the M-M at the end? Um, wink, wink. Monster Maniac? <laughs> Maniac Mansion. Oh, sorry, Maniac Mansion, yeah. It's the script creation utility for Maniac Mansion ah. or Scum. So he basically thought, you know, we need a whole new system that has to do with just clicking on commands instead of typing them in. So they made this whole new system that would work with this game. And it became so popular within LucasArts and actually other places that it was used for like, I think, 11 or 12 other games moving forward from that point, which is pretty crazy. But, you know, with all these different characters and all these different potential paths, I guess they didn't have a lot of people playtesting the game. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of like dead ends where you could just end up and be like, oh, you can't finish the game now. Like, you know, you needed so and so in this room and they've died off. And so you're kind of, you know, screwed at this point. Especially with like six different characters and alternate paths and everything like that. Right. I guess it got to the point where um, Gilbert was actually mailing his uncle Mm -hmm. different copies of like the game in different various stages of development and so he could play test them and give them notes because like they just didn't have people at LucasArts who really (laughs) wanted to do it but yeah the scum engine in the end ended up like working super well it actually helped them port the game to like a bunch of different like other you know computers and consoles I'll talk about the NES version here in a minute but uh, I thought we could do a little real or not here 
So in the end, uh, there was 15 different actions that you could do. Now, if you like, you know, walk up to a key, you could pick the pickup button and you'd pick up the key, go into your inventory and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to do a real or not with you. You got to tell me if this is a real action that was listed at the bottom of the game. The first one is fix. Yeah, because there's that character that can fix appliances. Dang you pushing your logic. Yes, that is correct. Very good. Okay, the next one is, what is, that's just what it says, what is. That would make sense, because that way you can get more information on certain things, so yes. Yes, that is correct. Very good. All right, how about kick? Yeah, that seems pretty basic. No, you could not kick things. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. Dance. Sure. No. No? <laughs> At some point, they got to be wrong, right? But no. All right, um, new kid. This is the one I want to say no on, but I'll just go with no. (laughs) No, that one is real. Yeah. That was how you switched to the other characters, who didn't have to be on screen, by the way, which is pretty cool. Like, they could just be wherever in the mansion, and when you click that, it would, you know, you jump to them. Oh, okay. All right, and the last one, fart. Uh, yes. Nope, that's fake. God, I wish. Can you imagine if there was just a game that let you just fart whenever you wanted? I guess there are some games like that. Yeah, there are. (laughs) Oh, man. Wario. Need that Maniac Mansion Wario Edition. They should add a, a fart button to the game. They should. It would just, you know, help it sell another million copies. <laughs> yeah, actually, this game did not do super well financially, I, I hate to say. Despite, like, getting pretty great reviews, you know, overall, and people being like, oh, my God, like, it's a revelation. It's, it's you know, mm-hmm. it's making this genre of game way more accessible for everybody. Yeah didn't do so hot but it's definitely has like a huge cult following and we'll talk about kind of you know some of the other things that spun off of it so in 1987 they debuted it at the consumer electronics show in chicago and it launched that october for the commodore 64 and the apple II. then they later decided they were going to port it to the nes because you know at that point the nes is kind of taken off and there was actually two separate versions of the game that were developed for the system the famicom version was handed by jalco in japan and that was released on uh, june 23rd 1988 and it kind of featured like they they redid it they redrew the characters so they were a lot cuter and they kind of shrunk down the environment so you know there was like less items in the room and there was less options for moving through the mansion mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting but i assume it was something they had to do you know for space limitations yeah plus you know japanese people love cute things yeah. more than many other cultures and um instead of the save feature that the original game had there was a password and it was over 100 characters long Oh, geez. required to save your progress so yeah i can just imagine you know if it was today i'd just be like all right taking a picture of that with my smartphone but you'd have to write down a hundred different characters more than a hundred and then input them all yeah so in september of 1990 jalco released the american version of maniac mansion and it was quite different and and many people consider it to be much better and a lot closer to the original game and there were there were a couple problems, you know, Nintendo back in the day, for those who don't know, was was pretty gung ho about like quality control, I would say. Yeah. Like you can't have mature stuff on our system. You know, at this point, there's no ESRB. So it's not like you can warn people on the package, really. Or I guess you didn't have to. So they made their own engine called the NES Scum to help make this easier 
but Nintendo was, you know, a little more critical and they there was a couple swear words in there they made them remove. There was some sexually suggestive dialogue that they made them remove. And there was also some nudity, and I say that in quotes because the nudity described by Nintendo uh, was a swimsuit calendar. Yeah. With girls in swimsuits, a classical sculpture, and a poster of a mummy in a playmate pose. So like a sexy, you know, pose uh, by a mummy. And I guess the team at LucasArts was like, no, we, we want, like, at least let us keep the art. Like, come on. Like, the you know, a bust of a woman, please. And, and Nintendo was just like, no. <laughs> so they had to scrap the entire thing. So, you know, they like to put a lot of little Easter eggs in this game. And one of them was kind of, it's it's a little much in terms of jokes, but... You could put a hamster in the microwave. Oh, and explode it. And yeah, and explode it. But Nintendo missed that in their like playthrough of the game. Mm-hmm. Like that, that was an option. And so that stayed in the original print of the game. And after Nintendo found out, they made them go back and like change it. So all the cartridges being sold after that first run did not have the ability to put the hamster in the microwave. Aw. So yeah, that's, I, I don't know. I'm sure that makes that game like, you know, more special, worth worth a few extra bucks if you got the special microwave hamster version. Mm-hmm. But like I said, you know, this whole game was described as a casual revolution, meaning, you know, it was pushing people who normally wouldn't play games to, you know, be able to and to yeah. understand the format a lot easier. Um, and obviously the Scrum Engine was used by a ton of other games moving forward. But the weirdest thing that I found that spun off of this, it's a TV sitcom. Oh. Yeah. So Maniac Mansion, the sitcom, was actually created by Eugene Levy of American Pie and uh, Schitt's Creek, right? Is that Am I pronouncing that right? I can, I can say that because it's the name of a show. Um, he has very large eyebrows. He's he's a very, you know, prolific comedian. Basically, what happened was there were some people at Lucasfilm who loved the game, and they were like, oh, like, I think this could be a fun, you know, like, series or a movie. And they pitched it, and, you know, some studio, I believe it, it was a Canadian studio because the whole thing was shot in Canada, mm-hmm. was like, yeah, sure, like, we can do that. They wanted to make it kind of like the Adams Family or the Munsters, you know what I mean? Like, creepy, yeah. but still family comedy. Kind of funny. Yeah. But apparently Eugene Levy was like, no, like, I don't like that. We're going to make it like a legit, normal kind of sitcom. Mm -hmm. And so real quick here, I'm going to send you the opening for it. And it's like hilarious because it's trying to be like cheery early 90s. But it's also (laughs) called Maniac Mansion. Yeah, it's very like cheery. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like strangely upbeat. And it's funny because in the beginning of this intro, you see a newspaper clipping that says like meteorite lands near mansion or whatever. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's still a plot point. But yeah. So this show ran for, you're not going to believe this, three years. 
62 episodes. Mm. And it was on YTV in Canada and the Family Channel in the United States, which apparently caused a little bit of an uproar because it wasn't super like <laughs> family friendly in spots. But yeah, they kind of completely overhauled this from the original outside of a couple people keeping their names like the main guy is dr fred edison and in the game he's like completely bald and has like glasses and is like a mad scientist i mean just like what you think of when you think of a mad scientist Mm -hmm. but in this game he was just kind of like a dorky 40 year old like inventor who's like oh man (laughs) (laughs) guess i better do what the meteorite tells me it's really weird there's like a character who's just a fly with a human head there's a character that's a toddler that he accidentally through one of his experiments made into like a a grown adult man but he still acts like a toddler Mm -hmm. and he like talks like this like oh i love you daddy it's really weird (laughs) like i i can't believe it actually got like picked up for three seasons Mm -hmm. apparently people were like yeah it's all right like it's pretty funny like people who had no idea what the video game was about. But people who actually played the video game were like, this is terrible. <laughs> like, why did you make this? Yeah, this is not like anything. Yeah. And the creators, Ron and Gary, have never actually commented on the uh, show. So yeah. that's uh, not a great sign. But moving on from that, there actually was a direct sequel to Maniac Mansion. It was called Day of the Tentacle. Mm. And I feel like a lot of people might know that better than Maniac Mansion. Yeah. Maniac Mansion 2 Day of the Tentacle I think is the full name this game came out in 1993 it was another graphic adventure game that kind of ha- you know followed that exact same style and uh, you know I mentioned those tentacles earlier mm-hmm. yeah the green and pink one yeah purple oh purple it's important so purple tentacle apparently goes behind the mansion and like drinks some you know, toxic goo or something mm-hmm. and becomes super smart grows some extra arms and he's like I'm gonna take over the world and the people in the house are like, well, we're going to kill you. You know, the, the crazy people say, we're going to we're going to destroy you. And the green tentacle, who is his friend, is like, oh, no. So he calls on the kids like, hey, come save my friend. You know, even though he's bad, like, I don't want him to die. Yeah. So uh, this time there's only three kids involved. One of them, Bernard Bernalui, which sounds a little bit like my last name, Bertoli. But he has different friends that come this time and they have to try and stop the evil purple tentacle. But he breaks free. There's some time travel involved with uh, porta potties, you know, normal stuff. Yeah. And uh, they end up in different time periods. The three different kids do. And you have to help them like work their way back and stop the evil tentacle one of them gets sent to the past one of them gets sent to the future and one of them like stays in the present day so Mm. this was a game that was actually spearheaded not by those original two guys but by dave grossman and tim schaefer Mm -hmm. and if you're like tim schaefer i've heard that name before this is the guy who you know helped found double fine he worked on psychonauts he worked on grim fandango and brutal legend i mean he's had a ton of hits and this was kind of his beginning in fact apparently he was a playtester on the nes version of maniac mansion and just like a huge fan so they were like yeah you can you know take on this second game mm-hmm. and it really worked out for him and if you want to play day of the tentacle i believe it has been remade for like all modern consoles and pcs like you can just go out and buy it on switch right now if you feel so inclined it's a fun little, you know, point click adventure. I think a lot of people feel like it was a really good follow up to Maniac Mansion mm-hmm. in the same, you know, kind of style. And everything looked a little bit better. As far as Ron Gilbert goes, he went on to work on a lot of more, you know, very iconic games and series. 
He co-founded Humongous Entertainment. Mm -hmm. If you know what that is, that's the company that made Putt-Putt and Freddy Fish and Pajama Sam and Spy Fox. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of games that like people have like crazy nostalgic, you know, childhood memories for. Yeah. I was more of a Putt-Putt guy myself. I was a Pajama Sam. Okay. All right. And um, actually, I have a good Ron Gilbert story. It's very quick, but I was uh, working one summer as an educational consultant for this uh, company in, here in Indy that makes or they made educational like games for the the phone and the tablet. Mm -hmm. And I had a coworker uh, named Stacia who was super like she like loved those games so much. And as I was leaving, I, I got some parting gifts for you know my my friends who were working there. And I actually contacted Ron Gilbert and said, "Hey, my friend really loves Pajama Sam. If I mail you the the game." like a copy of the game, will you sign it for her? And he was like, yeah, sure. So I sent it to him. He sent it back, signed, and she, you know, about lost her mind when I gave it to her. <laughs> so Ron is, I think, like, he likes to act like he's a super grumpy guy. I think his handle might actually be like Grumpy Gamer or something to that effect, but mm -hmm. I think he's super sweet. He's he's a nice guy, and he's, he's obviously worked a long time in the, the games industry. Yeah. So shout out to Ron. But uh, he also created Secret of Monkey Island and its sequel. And um, actually, they announced a new game in the Monkey Island series that's coming out this year. Yeah. By the time this episode goes live, I mean, who knows? It could actually be out. You could be playing it right this very moment. And Gary Winnick, the other creator of Maniac Mansion, uh, worked on the Monkey Island series as well and also is working on the new one. And he actually reteamed with Ron Gilbert in 2017 for a game called Thimbleweed Park which is kind of like a spoof on like the X-Files and Twin Peaks. It's about FBI agents who are like, you know, they're solving some crazy case in this, you know, podunk town somewhere. Yeah. So that's another game that if you if you like the idea of a point and click game, you want the like simple, fun, pixelated adventure, you should definitely go check that out. And that's it. That's all for Maniac Mansion. Honestly, I could probably go into more detail, but I don't want to drag it out too far. Now... You know everything you need to know. Don't go into spooky mansions. Especially ones uh, guarded by two tentacles. Yes. Avoid tentacles. Don't put the hamster in the microwave. And, uh, you know, just be safe out there. Yeah, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> oh no, they got pushed. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by talented chiptune composer Jamatar. You can find more of his bangin' beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting Jamatar.com. This episode and every episode in Season 8 was edited by audio superstar Mikey Yankovic. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter at memcardshow or you can visit our website memorycardshow.com if you'd like to follow ben and i we can be found at superbentendo and at pushdustin respectively have you considered supporting memory card on patreon if not we hope you will currently we're supported by quite a few awesome people all of which get access to early ad-free episodes these people include jackson bertoli courtney cotton taylor bias cody sam michael strickland jorge bajija Manuel Vitella, Shala, Sandra L, Nick Callis, Jehoon Jeong, Sean Marafini, Joseph Bayer, and Brock Delabru. 
All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com slash memcard. We'll be back really soon with some more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you soon.